Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Because We Love Finding Meaning After Loss podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Haycock. I am a certified and accredited life coach, grief coach, and certified grief educator. And I wanted to create a podcast and a platform for individuals to share their stories of not only the trauma and the loss, and it's not just the loss of loved ones through death when we think of grief, it's any kind of loss. And I wanted to create this space for individuals to share their stories, but not just the story of the trauma and the loss, but the story of how they found healing, the different modalities and tools that they use to not only live their life, but then turn around and help others do the same. I am inspired by all of my guests and I hope that you will be too. So whether you're the griever and you're trying to figure out how on earth you're going to navigate this life and navigate these losses, or you're somebody who is supporting a loved one who is grieving and you're wondering how on earth do I help them? What do I say? What do I not say? I'm going to be interviewing individuals who are going to give you some tools. I will speak to professionals who will be able to give us some insight as well. So vulnerability and authenticity is my jam. And I hope that you are going to find some or all of these episodes inspiring, useful, and authentic and real. So even though we're talking about some difficult topics, there will be some humor, there will be some laughter. I know that's hard to understand, but there is. So let's get vulnerable, people. Hey, my friends. Thanks again for tuning in to the Because We Love Finding Meaning After Loss podcast. Today, I've got Ben Stimson. He is a therapist, lecturer, student, and spiritual director. Ben has developed courses on a variety of topics, including ancestor veneration, which I think I pronounced that correct, and he's going to explain what that actually is. Quite fascinating. The power of story and folklore. When not working with clients or writing, Ben is engaged in his area of study, which is religious studies, medieval and classical studies, folklore, and spirituality. So get ready. We're going to have a chat with Ben. Well, thanks so much, Ben, for being on the show. I'm, I'm excited not only to hear what you have to say in the story that you share, but there's just a really interesting um, connection that you and I have. So, uh, but first, <laughs> welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I've been really looking forward to this one, so I'm, I'm pleased we, we could sit down. Yes. So, you know, when we got on our initial pre-interview chat, clearly I sound American because I am, but I also live in the UK and have a British citizenship. And so, and you're in Canada, right? I'm in, on, uh, about two hours from Toronto, so yes, Ontario, Canada. Yes, but yes. then when I said I'm in the UK and you started talking about where you were born and I was like, 
And yeah. not only have I been there a ton of times and brought every family member I have, but also <laughs> um, it was only like 40, 50 minutes away from where I lived in Chester. Mm. So, and we are talking about Clendenno, Wales, mm -hmm. correct? <laughs> yes, yes, quite close by to there, yes. So yeah, yeah, it was, it's kind of a weird, strange thing. Yeah, it's a very strange thing. I've been heavily, um, I've been heavily connecting with people over there because I'm planning on moving back next year. And when you had said where you, where you live now, I looked on the map because in the little tiny towns in the middle of England, I'm still, and you're only like 25 minutes north from a load of friends of mine down in Northampton and Wellingborough. So I'm oh, like, yes. oh. <laughs> oh, see, yes, I was just in Northampton on um, Saturday watching friends abseil down the largest tower, which is 418 feet in the air, and they're ridiculous, but they did it for wow. charity, so at least that I could do was be on the ground looking at and watching that. <laughs> yes. So yeah, Market Harbor is not far, we're just literally on the border of Northamptonshire. See, it is a small world, and you're it's over in Canada, so, so that's the little <laughs> trivia um, and connection that we have, um, and not only that but i wanted to bring you on to the show because of course we're talking about grief and loss but mm -hmm. i love the differences in the guests that i have and mm -hmm. and i you know when i i mean i was like ancestral veneration like this is going to be an interesting chat <laughs> so first of all do you want to just tell us a bit about you and your story what brought you totally. on to the show like what drew you here with your grief or loss absolutely so um it all ties in together really nicely and neatly with this idea of loss. When I, I first saw your um, your ad for your podcast, I was like, oh, you because as a psychotherapist over here, a lot of my work incorporates that psychotherapy piece with the spirituality piece. So I've been looking at branching out and, and really connecting with that psychotherapy approach and, and, and reaching new audiences. Um, because I feel like after the pandemic, death has been such a focus in our culture, our Western culture. Um, and 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 a lot of people are wanting to connect in, especially in North America here, um, connect in with roots, connect in with ancestors. And now that death has been such a large part of our, 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 our cultural continuum, um, that idea of then connecting in with a spiritual way with those who have recently passed, but also those who have who, who've long been passed. So there's a lot of, of really neat, meaty pieces that, that connect in with the, uh, the, the topic of your, of your show. As we got talking, though, um, in the pre-chat, I realized that loss and grief has actually been a big part of my own story. And that ties in with the, uh, the story of me coming to Canada. So I came to Canada when I was eight and a half years old. It took a lot of therapy and a lot of spiritual searching for me to realize that that was one of the worst things that ever happened to me. I didn't have any control in the, in, in the move. I, I was, uh, you'll get this. I think most of your audience will get this. I wasn't British until I came to Canada, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? And so suddenly I went from a space where I was at home, I was surrounded by all the people I had grown up with, all of my friends, all of my extended family, all of my ancestors, 
And suddenly I was in the middle of Canada and uh, I had no connections over here. And the culture shock was so huge. I, I think you'll understand this definitely having moved over the pond yourself, but in the opposite direction, yes. right? Yeah. Um, you would think that both countries are very similar, but there's so many pieces that are very different, right? And in fact, I'm kind of starting to get that countercultural shock now because I'm starting to get really annoyed with British culture and how indirect it can be, right? Yeah. So... I, I, a lot of my spiritual searching was really a sense of trying to connect in with home. I connected in with kind of British folklore, the story of like fairies and witches and giants and all of that, King Arthur, all of these pieces that tied me again, reminded me of, of home because I didn't feel like I had home over here. And that also created a lot of issues around control. I engaged with control dramas in my life. That trauma popped up in in insecurity and self-esteem issues, all of these things, because at every every turn of my journey, I was different from everybody else around me. So when I started to, this ties in with the ancestral piece, when I started to deep dive into my own training in psychotherapy, um, I was connecting in with family story, the idea of those generations upon generations of the, of the narrative, the family narrative and culture that is passed down to us and the context that we're created within, but also those family trauma pieces coming down. Concurrently to that, I was also engaging with ancestral work in a spiritual setting, in a, in a spiritual tradition I was, I, was, um, I was involved with. And so to have both approaches pop up while I'm also doing a great amount of therapy work um, really changed my life. So really that piece around ancestral veneration is, it incorporates that idea of family story, there's also a huge piece about grief and loss because the ancestors in Western continent, was all over the world, ancestor veneration as a spiritual practice is often a container for grief traditions, mourning traditions, but it then transcends that. It moves us past or moves individuals past those stages of grieving the loss of somebody and instead celebrating a transition of somebody into something else. And so in many of these ancestor traditions that I talk about in my book, Ancestral Whispers, out in a couple of weeks through Llewellyn, um, I talk about what is it like to relate to the dead in, in right now in the present, as opposed to only thinking of them in the past and ourselves getting stuck in the past that way. In the same way that I got stuck in the past and didn't live in the present all these years as I pined for home. Mm. So it's an interesting, all of these pieces coming together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when did you start your, it, so I'm assuming with your schooling is when these links started happening. When was that? How long ago was that? Well, it's funny because my educational journey has been kind of all over the place. I'm 30, turning 37 and uh, I went back to school to train in psychotherapy in 2017 um, when I, I, I can't even think, in my early 30s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we don't I, need to do math. We don't need to do yeah. math, no. Um, but but I, I originally was training in social work back in the mid-2000s. So in 2005, I went off to college, did so, uh, social service work at a community college um, and then I went to university to do a bachelor's and I just couldn't do social work. It was just 
it just was not where I was supposed to be. I couldn't help anybody in it. And I burned out horrifically. Mm. And around that same time in that last year of, it was 2010, um, I actually had a chance to come over and work at one of the university's satellite campuses down in, it was a study center just south of um, London. So for a summer, I was back home, living at home. I, I, I went up to see my family up north and that reignited that dread ah. of, oh God. And so yeah. then I dropped out of school. So it took me about five, six years to fully realign, get back on my feet again after that. And I decided, well, I don't want to go back to university and do social work. So I decided to retrain in, in psychotherapy. I've now since gone back and I changed my degree and now I'm working on things like history and medieval studies and things like that for my own interest, for my own writing projects. But that took a long time. I had a hiatus of about almost 10 years, um, but uh, I'm kind of where I'm at now, where I should have been 10 years ago. Yeah. And there's always yeah. there's always these this journey, right? If like you mm -hmm. look you step out and you do this thing, and yeah. if it's not, you know, we course correct, but all mm -hmm. of those steps led you to where you're totally. at today. And mm -hmm. do you then so obviously mom and dad like moved you to Canada? Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you come back to visit. Like now, you have this taste of home again, mm -hmm. um, but always having that longing for home. And I think when we talk about loss and grief, and when you and I were talking, but it is—it's any type of loss that causes yeah. grief or pain, right? So it's—it can mm -hmm. be anything. And that's why I thought it was yes. so interesting having a chat with you because it's not just like the loss of a loved one through death. Although I know mm -hmm. you work in the ancestral, but Yes. Your grief and loss happened at a very young age, which then took you down this road, like you said, of insecurities and who am I yes. and identity crisis almost. And I think mm -hmm. that is that in and of itself is loss. And I'm certain that there are going to be listeners who maybe that's not what happened to them but they'll mm -hmm. be able to relate so much to totally loss of community loss of your family loss yep. there is a loss there that has to be grieved this right? is the thing this is the thing and and i think i think this is a universal thing humans tend to like to be in control and what happens when we're out of control when we perceive that we've lost something or when we're in a grieving session or even in when we know that we don't have control in any situation that we go through the same stages of grief that kubler ross spoke about we go through denial and then eventually acceptance hopefully not everybody gets there though and of course all of those pieces we swing around and around and yeah around it's not linear day, right? is it and i know <laughs> no, that some you know. people are you know they're like oh the five stages or this yeah but but it's not linear that she it Elizabeth Kubler ross talked about it is not linear it doesn't no. you know it's not like you just go okay and stage one stage two mm -hmm. like there it's if you looked at it it would probably be a big ball of stringy mess it totally is Yes. Right. Um, and, and so that's what brought you to the work that you're doing, but you, mm -hmm. okay, well, let's just back up for okay. those who need to Google, right. Ancestral veneration, you touched upon mm -hmm. it, 
but can you just explain like what that is? Absolutely. No, okay. absolutely. So, so in, in kind of spirituality, you have two kind of forms of, of relating to the dead or other, right? You have grief and grieving which is the internal um, kind of reaction to a loss. You have mourning and mourning practices, funerary practices, which are really to get that in, in kind of a spiritual worldview, to get that individual to where they need to go. But that's usually a social thing. That's usually a just after the person has died. It's a way of society and ourselves transitioning that person from a living member of society to now a dead member of society, right? However way the worldview encompasses that. But both of those aspects are um, removing that person from society, right? For whatever reason, however the worldview comes in. When we talk about mourning and grief in that way, it's about then the loss. It is about the person is no longer here. Right. And so then they're gone. And, and that's what we're hyper focusing on. Ancestor veneration, on the other hand. So, so where is the one? The first is about seeing the individual as static and in, in, in the past and now gone. Hyper, ancestral veneration, on the other hand, is about relating them to that individual in the now, in their transformed state. So a very classic example, if you go to a Chinese restaurant, um, those in the Western world, you will often see an ancestral shrine behind the counter. And that is, uh, usually has offerings at it, usually has something. And that is a space that the individuals can go to and relate to their ancestors right here, right now, communicating with the idea that those ancestors have power in, in to affect their life right now. That's very different from mourning, yes. which is that the dead are gone, that they're no longer here, and that we don't have access to them anymore. So people can get, get often get stuck in grief because they're, they're hyper-focused on the past, right? Yeah. Um, and so then that, that, that's the main distinction yeah, between ancestor veneration, worship, working with that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, that makes really, that makes sense. And I thought, well, you know, I'm sure people will be Googling, but having you explain that. And so do you find that it's a more cultural thing or do you find that the, the Western world, like our culture is becoming more aware and those kind of practices of the here and now and communicating with our ancestors? I think that we're re, I think that Western culture is refining those traditions. Um, Western culture is particularly Judeo-Christian culture, um, particularly Christian culture, let's say, I, I won't talk about Judaism with this. Um, but we, a, a lot of the Christian denominations had an approach to working with the dead, right? Um, requiem masses were, were often told um, and, and, and said in churches um, for the dead now in purgatory or wherever they were now. So the focus were, was on that spirit now as opposed to who they were in a static you know, life many, many years before, right? Um, oftentimes the relationship with death was different because death was a natural part of life. You, um, it was often a duty of the household to prepare the body. There was no funerary industry that uh, that took the body and, and 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 turned the body into what what we have now, right? Which is plastic monstrosities. Um, 
so I, 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 and I think the relationship with death was very different. I mean, people often, uh, people don't realize, but the Day of the Dead, that's um, often now linked with Mexico, um, is a European tradition too. If you go into Europe, especially Catholic Europe, you will see people going into the graveyards and decorating graves and celebrating the dead in that way. And even British culture had that too. I think as, as industrialization happened, as capitalism became a big thing, and also individualism grew, I think then the focus was more on then how are we reacting to death as opposed to the dead and supporting each other through a community, right? I feel like now, I mean, the, and the funerary industry um, is, is, is horrific in that way. A lot of funeral directors are very quick to comment on that and say and point that out that, you know, when somebody dies, what happens? coroner comes takes the body away and the next time you see it is either cremated or done up like silver black right <laughs> yeah, yeah right it's yeah. one of those situations so we we don't understand what death actually is and that causes and, and that's why death becomes then an issue for us we then fear death because we don't really understand what it actually is on a biological level even on a spiritual level it, our fear takes over and suddenly we center ourselves in the story of this individual's passing in which case then it's all about our fear of our oblivion and all of this whereas ancestor veneration traditions around the world um create that kind of understanding within the family of oh well what's gonna what's gonna happen after we're, we're dead oh well you know the family will continue to remember us at the ancestor shrine it takes away that um it creates a different form of relationship yeah. i'm not going to say grief doesn't exist in in those cultures it does but it, 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 it's a different relationship, you know. Yeah. I feel like then the hyperfixation on the fears around what's going to happen after we die, um, the anxiety piece changes. Yeah. And that's the thing with loss. I would say individualism in Western culture is a big issue when it comes to reaction to potential loss or that anxiety that is formed from potentially losing something the unknown whenever change happens right yeah. i feel like other cultures around the world that are more collectivist for the more community focus they have built within those cultures more of a um an ability to deal with change because they're at the whim of change all the time you know yeah, western cultures yeah, are is, insulated yeah it's mm -hmm. very interesting because yeah. when you're talking about like community and we as yeah. humans want community we desire we need connection and we need community yes um and the individualism definitely separates us you know we yes. you, you look out for number one we are we are it we're all we have mm -hmm. um but when we embrace community and embrace that connection gosh it just brings a whole new purpose in your around. life and what's interesting really in the the realm of grief and grieving and loss you know, I speak to individuals who are very spiritual, who have a lot of connections to mediums. They, they are very, they're very much connected in not only to a medium, but also maybe direct line to those who have mm -hmm. passed and do a lot of work around connecting with them and, mm. and seeing signs and synchronicities mm -hmm. and all of those things. And I never really had any of that connection until after the, my dad died in 2018 yeah. and he was the first person. I mean, I lost a grandma, I lost an aunt, I lost, you know, but he was the first person. And mm. since then there've been numerous, but at that time, then 
I, my eyes were open to signs and synchronicities oh. and things and connecting my, my, my need to connect with him. And it wasn't because I was making stuff up. It was just, I was now aware. I was very much mm -hmm. aware of the afterlife. I was very much aware mm -hmm. outside of a, of a church Christian mm -hmm. belief that, and it, and it was like, Oh my God. And what yeah. it did for me was it took away any fear of dying. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that to me was like, Oh my God, this is not what I thought it was. So it is interesting. Not everybody believes mm. this, not, you know, and I always say, yes. in the, you know, in these episodes, listen, someone's going to go, not for me, whatever. They can move on to the next one, but there is mm. going to be these nuggets and, and your, your connection to not only psychotherapy, so you have actual, you know, education, experiencing yes. clients, you've got this head knowledge, but then you have lived experience, but also the yes. spiritual aspect. And the clients that you see are, are, do you work with them on a spiritual connection level? Is that all yes, your do. clients? Is just I wouldn't cool. say uh, well. I wouldn't say all of my clients. I've, like I, I put myself out where, out there to those communities. Um, so I, I I niche particularly with the queer community and also the kind of alternative spirituality community, paganism and earth centered communities. Um, but that is just a signal to them that my space is a space that they can bring that in if they want to. A lot of my clients they're dealing with all the same issues as any other client, right? Um, but they want to know that they can bring in that idea that if they've started to see omens or signs around their issue, then they can talk about that. We can use those as a tool for deeper exploration. Um, a lot of my queer clients want to know that if they happen to say my boyfriend, my partner, my girlfriend, however, or talk about their transition, then it's not going to suddenly be like transition. Are you trans? Tell me about that, right? Yes. We're gonna. It's just going to be a space. Yes. But I, I feel like a lot of people, especially with um, like uh, at least in North America, North American psychotherapy is a little different from that kind of British context. And I know because I'm I, I, I'm kind of sitting in both worlds right now. Um, but it, uh, over here, there's a, a great deal of pathologization. And the issue of pathologization is that it, it, it takes a very human thing, like grief, like spiritual expression, like kind of looking for patterns and signs, which is a very, very human neurological thing, um, and suddenly pathologizes it as a symptom of mental illness, yes. right? Like the, one of the biggest issues I have with current DSM, which I'm glad that the UK doesn't accept, is that it, there is actually a, uh, a grief-based pathologization in there, and they've given it a, um, a, a pharmaceutical code. Can you imagine how horrific it is to sit in front of somebody who's in, who's in bereavement and say, well, this is a disorder for you. Here, give you a pill. Like, how is that, right? But that's wow. my soapbox, sorry. No, but <laughs> yes, people wow. don't realize I didn't that. see and I didn't realize yeah. that that was a thing. So you've just opened my eyes to that because that is ridiculous. I work mm -hmm. with not only my own lived experience, but working with clients who are grieving especially mm -hmm. when we're talking about the loss of a loved one through death yes. someone has died and to say here's a pill like yeah the, what and like and, and not to and that just completely diminishes every 
feeling, emotion, thought. And to me, it puts a lid on having a safe space to just feel, say, and be everything that you're feeling and being. And what I love about what you Mm. said about being just totally inclusive, like just anybody can come Mm -hmm. and they're not going to be questioned. They're Mm -hmm. just there and you're creating this safe space for them to explore wherever they land with no agenda. This is the thing. This is the thing, because what we can do is we're still working on all the same things. Those are just tools and those are just how the whatever they're working on is manifesting, right? If somebody goes to, like you said, a psychic and connects in with what they believe, and that's not to diminish belief here, but, um, you know, it all comes down to how you're perceiving and reacting or responding to what you're taking in, right? If you're perceiving that you're speaking with your dead relative, and that's creating that's bringing up all of these big emotions for you but you don't feel like you have a safe space to acknowledge those feelings in a in a in a therapy session because you don't want the other like therapist to think you're absolutely fucking nuts right yep. sorry i yep. didn't mean to no, say no no that's like, it's true this is the fear. Right. then yeah. how are you going to work on those unresolved feelings exactly. of okay my dad just said this through a medium to me and i didn't know this piece of information this has unlocked a huge thing for me and i'm really really mad about what's happening right now how are you going to acknowledge that if you're also fearful that the other person you yeah. can look down on you for it right? exactly yeah. and that's when you come with no judgment i find that yeah. the pendulum swings so much to where mm-hmm. if you the therapist or the coach have come in with our own mm-hmm. view and our own agenda then yes. absolutely you do not create a safe space and you're just as judgmental as the person they're fearing absolutely so i love that you that you you know you have a niche but you also Mm -hmm. have that space and that's when and if that is the community of people that come through your door that's Mm -hmm. fantastic because there aren't Mm -hmm. enough of you around so um and and you know and i think to be honest that does lead me i mean we know you're a psychotherapist you now (laughs) you have written a book and what i really Mm -hmm. want to do is um obviously in the show notes i'm going to put all the information all the links to find you you, how they can find you and your book but you just said a while back that you have a book launch in a couple weeks is that right is this your i do yes this is my very first book, brand wow. new book. Um, one of many, I'm hoping, but this yes. is my absolute first, yes. So exciting. And now, I'll what be honest, is the name it, of it? And so it's called Ancestral Whispers, a guide. Ancestral Whispers, a guide to building ancestral veneration practices. I have to always remind myself of that. <laughs> so what the book is basically for, I saw a need um, a couple of years ago when I had finished my, my doing my education. I, I, I graduated in September 2019. And I was like, okay, well, what can I offer to clients? How can I start to build my name? So I started kind of, you know, tinkering with workshops as we do. I mean, coaches and anybody in the helping field knows we, we have to offer multiple things to get to different people. Not everybody is, one, is going to want to do one-on-one work. People feel safer in those communities. People feel safer maybe just taking a class on something. So I developed an eight-week course on ancestor work, mainly because I had gone through it myself. Um, it incorporated kind of looking at family story, a lot of um, 
a lot of uh, people who are interested in genealogy and the way that genealogy is pegged now with Ancestry.com and all these others, or Ancestry.co.uk, um, is find your story, find out who you are through all these stories, right? And there's a certain element of truth to that, right? So I, uh, I started putting together um, a work on that, but from a more spiritual base. Okay, well, you've got this story, you're learning about yourself by looking at this story and how, you know, it affected how you were raised and, and the family patterns piece, right? Then uh, for a lot of my clients, they actually wanted to work with ancestors. How do I work with ancestors in a spiritual sense? And I think what's going on with that, there's multiple pieces to that, but that's actualizing the relationship. That's like actually putting in, um, manifesting it in a different way so that they can relate to it in a different way. Um, so I, I, I put that together and I sat on it and then the pandemic hit and everything uh, closed down. All my yeah. clients were gone and nobody could afford me anymore. So I was like, okay, well, I've got a year. So I worked on it, worked on, on kind of how do I uh, put it into a, a, an online format. And in September, I put to uh, 2020, I delivered it for the first time to a load of clients all around the world. And uh, I think we had, we had about five people in that class. It was wonderful. And I just basically go through, okay, what is death? Let's explore death. What is, how do we relate to death on a cultural level? How do we relate to death on an individual level? Mm. How do we relate to family story on an individual and cultural level? And all of these pieces, so it all wove together. And it was a, a, a wonderful time. I think it was like, how many weeks? So it was eight weeks, um, every Thursday night at 7 p.m. And it was just, it was just so wonderful. Um, so then after that course was finished, I felt, you know what, I, I, this could make a good book. Mm. And I knew a couple of people who were um, published by Llewellyn. And uh, one of my supervisors was uh, published by Llewellyn. So I sat down with her and I said, you know, how, how, like, what's your process? So she gave me her advice. She gave me her editor's uh, email and I submitted a proposal. I actually wrote the book first before sending it in. Mm-hmm. And, um, and how I do it is I feel like, uh, and this, this comes again to that place of loss and trauma. A lot of people who are coming into alternative spirituality circles often come from a place of religious trauma with Christianity particularly. Other traditions too, but mostly um, for Westerners, Christianity. So what is that? That is not just a loss of self, that false self that you were told you had to be in those traditions, but also a loss of community. Yes. Because, right, huge loss of community. So people are coming into these spiritual practices and, and they want to know what to do. What do I do? Because they still have that idea of, you know, you have to do everything right. It has to be perfect, right? But people are also wanting to explore and people are, are wanting that experiential piece. Yeah. So I wrote this as just a very long therapy session. It is giving mm-hmm. you the information. And if people want to, they can go to the Llewellyn website and read the first couple of chapters. It is on there for free. So they get a sense of kind of the approach. So I talk about the thinky bits and the doy bits for worldview. Understand worldview and how you fit into your own worldview. And I think that's good advice for anybody in any area of their life, right? And then the second part is then what can ritual look like? And for me, ritual is all about um, kind of communication, right? Communicating to self, communicating to other um, through symbolic um, kind of format. So that's really the whole book. I don't prescribe what to do. I don't tell people what to do. I don't give rituals, but I do give a lot of examples from around the world of how this fits in. And then I often talk about how the people are relating to those practices for themselves. Yeah, so there's a I mean, lot of pieces. 
Yeah, that's great because like you said, you're not telling people what to do, but giving people tools. And I love it. It's like one big long therapy session. That's great. And so <laughs> I, I love that. And so, like I said, I'll put all of the Thank details you. in the show notes. And so that's, you know, how people can find you. But before I do that, do you want to tell us how people can find you? Like what's the best mm -hmm. way for people to find you? Uh, best way is benstimpson.com. That has all of my socials. It has my uh, all of my work around therapy, my book stuff. I have a podcast too um, for those who, who are in the pagan community or in the witchcraft community. Um, and uh, I interview a load of, of writers on various different topics, particularly around the culture and kind of how they came to their work too. Oh, fantastic. So everything's on my website too. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Well, again, um, thank you so much for you know thank being you. on the show and when you move back to the uk especially if you're in like the northampton area you know <laughs> message me and we'll have a coffee <laughs> i would love that i, I would was love gonna say that. Have a i would like to say... drink so oh no no i don't drink too which is going to be a big issue for me <laughs> i know i do want to say though <laughs> yeah. before i go i do want to say for your listeners and and this piece around loss um, and I'm sure your other guests have said this too. I'm sure you also talk about this too. But I, I feel like when it comes to when people are, are, are focusing in on something, oftentimes um, it's fulfilling a need. And if you go just below the surface, oftentimes those needs are unfulfilled because of our, our experiences in our lives, right? I feel like they can often be a, a need to take on a false persona. And I've certainly seen this now that my book is starting to head out into the world. People are, are grasping for, um, you know, ancestral voice. I, I want to know about my ancestors because that's an identity I feel I can fit in with. And it, but it becomes a false identity. And I really stress this in the book that you are the one who is living, that mm. you have the mantle of life. And so if people are interested in working with their ancestors, I would strongly counsel being the grounded one, mm. being grounded in yourself, know thyself, right? Because in knowing yourself, you can better connect and relate as opposed to react. And there's a big difference between reacting Absolutely. and responding. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's re that's so that's very good and very true. And um, like you said, just below the surface. And so, no, that is great. I, you know, I, I'm sure others have said it, but not the way you say it. So, um, so that's fantastic. Thank you so much. You're very um, welcome. You know, and Thank thanks, you. Yeah. Thanks so much for being on the show. It's been great having you. It's been a great chat. This has been wonderful. I've been speaking so much to spirituality podcasts lately, but it's nice to actually be in my kind of home setting of, of kind of coaching and psychotherapy and, and working with people. So yeah. I appreciate this. Thank you. Absolutely. My pleasure.